0: Welcome to the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason and Rachel Wagner. We are husband and wife and dedicated to bring you conversations that revolve around real estate, entrepreneurship, personal development, relationships, politics, and just regular conversations that come across the dinner table. We will share with you actual stories of relatable people with hopes to inspire you to invest in becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is season two, episode two of the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason Rachel Wagner. Today, we're going into basically how we went from zero to 13 units. Almost 14. Almost 14. In, let's see, from the beginning of 2019 to today, uh, July 2023. So, yeah, we're going to kind of touch on that. And, It's been kind of a fun little process because we've tried to make it a, hey, let's buy a property every single year. I kind of like having that as a goal for us, just to buy one income-producing property every single year. And if you do that over the course of, let's just say, 10 years, like you're going to do pretty well. Um, I think it's kind of a a nice proven tactic. And I've talked to a lot of people that have done something like that. And uh, so we're kind of on track. We'll kind of like just go through... You know what our what our first initial purchases look like and and where we're at now rachel anything to add how you been what's up
1: i'm great i'm getting excited um i mentioned we're about to have our 14th unit and that is um the house we're currently living in we are going to be renting out um our single family home here in jefferson park portage park area as we make our our big move to the suburbs woohoo yeah. finally finally got him
0: yeah yeah you finally did <laughs> It's the vision board.
1: It's that vision board. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on the board. It's going to come true. It does. Let's so wait till next year. I'll add some more things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're still in the process of finding a renter for our current home, um, but we've got some interesting solutions there. Uh, we're either looking for a long-term tenant or it's going to be a Airbnb play. So we're excited what the next couple of weeks brings to us. So we'll kind of touch base on that as we kind of get some updates on it. But all right. So we started, I started my house flipping journey. Like that's how we first got into real estate. I wanted to be this flipper and I actually bought my first house on the South side of Chicago in 2017, uh, which was just a small little ranch uh, that we ended up flipping. And, And honestly, like six months and like that first project was like sunshines and rainbows like everything went really well we had great contractors and you know schedule we was great. schedule was great in and out in six months mm-hmm. um, it sold in the first weekend it was just like wow I'm really good at this <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was really beautiful. I will say your taste and putting everything together and execution was yeah. done quite well, but it was a little lucky too.
0: It was a little lucky. I, I do kind of point that out. I mean, I worked pretty hard on like preparing for that moment and I found this little ranch and bought it in February 2017 for about $70,000. Um, we ended up selling it in August for, of that year for 200000 uh, we put in about $67,000 on the rehab and believe it or not, I walked away with about twenty-nine, thirty thousand $30,000 of profit there, um, after closing costs and like our holding fees. So, uh, that was really, really cool. I ended up getting a really big head and I said, let's take on a bigger, sexier project. And I found this, um, Brick bungalow in Washington Heights. And let's see, I bought that one in October of that year of 2017. I bought it for about $56,000. I didn't sell it until August of 2019. <laughs> What a disaster of a project. So we we tore off the whole roof on that one. And we did a whole podcast episode. This was the flip from hell. And uh, we tore off the whole roof and we put on a dormer addition. I ended up spending about $144,000 on the rehab on that. And we sold it... For two forty, and it would and it did not sell on the first weekend. I think, I don't remember how long it took, but it probably took th- at least three months and a number of price reductions um, to get that one sold. Uh, we made a whopping zero dollars. We actually lost money. We, <laughs> we lost sixteen thousand dollars on that deal. Um, and uh, somehow I continued to buy more property and didn't want to like curl up in a ball and and die after that whole uh, disaster of a flip.
1: Yeah, actually going back to that episode and listening to it, I think we called it a flipping horror story or something like that. Yeah. Um, Jason goes into some of the details of of just blow after blow after blow of everything that went wrong in that project, and somehow in the middle of that project, you you still purchased something else. You weren't discouraged yet. <laughs>
0: You're right. Yeah, because actually, okay, so we sold that Ada house. That was the Washington Heights house. We sold that in August of 2019, but it actually purchased another property in January of 2019 because I was like, hey, all right, I'm going to chalk this one up as a loss, but let's keep going and continue to find something else that might be a good opportunity. So I came across this uh, this condo uh, that was a duplex down in Wicker Park, and um, it didn't have the, bin- the, the basement finished out. This one actually looked relatively easier. Low-hanging fruit is what I would call it. Um, no permitting, well, no severe permitting needed. Um, and so, anyways, we built out the basement on that one and it was intended to be a flip. We bought it for 310000 We put in about $80,000 of rehab and it was intended to be a flip. I put it up on the market for about two months and it did not sell right away. And I think at that point we were kind of seeing like some rise of interest rates and I kind of realized that some of the development that I did wasn't like, wasn't perfect.
1: Okay, so hold on. Can you share a little bit about how we financed this deal while we were still in the midst of the ADA? Process? Property.
0: Yeah. So funny, funny story was that the ADA property was such a, it was a, hard, it was a really hard one because we were actually running out of money to complete that job. <laughs> so, uh, so we, the good thing was, is that I was able to find a lender, which was a hard money lender, Renova Financial. Um, they were able to come in and take the, then uh, see the improvements that we were doing on the property and um, recognize that we had already increased the value and basically give us an equity loan that would have allowed us to pull out a little bit more money to complete the job uh, while also purchasing this new property. So it was kind of, I'd call it stealing from Peter to pay Paul type thing where we took the equity out of one property to go buy another one, but then it also gave us enough cash to finish the current job, which was, in my opinion, it was just fascinating how that all kind of worked out. But anyways, it did. Um, so we were able to buy that Claremont property, which was again it was intended to be a flip. We finished it, put it up on the market, didn't sell right away, and then as we were going into like the the late fall season, I'm like, "You know what? I don't want to, you know, miss an opportunity to get a great renter in here." And I started having this whole, I don't know, epiphany kind of come to me that says, "You know, you're going to put in all this work on these projects, why are you selling them? Maybe you should rent them out and keep the properties and own them. I ended up putting it on the rental market and it rented within the first weekend um, at a sizable price. We got we ended up getting thirty six hundred a month for that property. And then from there, when we rented it, I was able to refinance the mortgage. And so I got an appraisal at basically the flip price that I was looking to sell it at. So we were able to refinance a lot of the money that we had invested in that project. And we had put about Eighty thousand dollars into that into that rehab, and we were able to get almost all of our money out. Well, uh, all but forty thousand dollars out of that. The rent that we were collecting, which was thirty six hundred, minus the mortgage, minus the HOA, and a brand new property that didn't require any repairs or really like capital expenditures. I mean, we were we were actually profiting nearly eight hundred dollars a month from that first rental. And if you take eight hundred dollars times twelve. It ends up being anywhere between like, you know, over the the amount of money that we had left in that deal, which was about $40,000, that cash on cash return ends up being anywhere between like 20 and 25%. And so when you look at it from, hey, we've got this money that's invested in this deal. And even though we weren't able to pull out all of our money on the refinance, because that's like what the buy, rent, refinance, repeat strategy is that Bigger Pockets likes to talk about, where you buy a property, rehab it, and then that future value is exceeds the amount of money that you've put into it and you're able to refinance it and pull out a lot of that cash. Now it's really hard to kind of execute that perfectly and get all your cash out, but we were able to get most of it out. And we left some money in and of the money that was left in that deal, we were earning a fantastic monthly return on it. And so as I started looking at the numbers from that perspective, I'm just like, wow, we should actually do more of this and we should buy more rental properties. Our next move after that was let's go buy a house hack and a multi-units and let's go buy a four-units. Um, somewhere on the northwest side of Chicago. And we ended up doing that. We used an FHA mortgage, uh, which was allowed allowed us for 3.5% down. I think we ended up talking about this first house hack strategy on our very first episode of this podcast. So you can kind of go back to episode one. You can kind of like hear our whole house hacking strategy and what we ended up doing. But that's the amazing thing where the government offers this FHA mortgage. And Chicago is an amazing place that you can utilize this loan, but it's only three and a half percent down. We bought a building for $725,000. It only required three and a half percent down to buy that thing. And we lived in one unit and rented out the other. And so from there, it's just kind of managing your tenants, raising the rents, to what a market rent's going to be, and you start to earn a cash flow from those management activities. What'd you think of the house hack?
1: You know, it was great. We were only there a little over a year, and then we got to move on to our next property. Yeah. So I want to take you back again. So, with the Claremont property that you were just talking about, the one that was cash flowing um, 800 a month, mm-hmm. a couple things there. So, we got that rented in August of 2019, and then we're able to turn around and purchase the house hack that you were just talking about. December of that year. So it was only a couple of months, but because we were able to show that 12-month lease with that cash flow, that income was then reflected on our debt to income in order to qualify for the next level property.
0: That's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. So because we didn't have a full year's worth of uh, rent that had accumulated, um, so we didn't have a tax return yet. So when you go to qualify for that next mortgage, a lender is going to be able to take 75% of the rental income that you you have on a lease and they can count that towards qualifying for the next property. You know, with Rachel's W-2, you know, she was really the only income. I wasn't really making any money mm-hmm. at that point. And I was starting to do some some uh, real estate sales, but there still wasn't enough of it. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's the that's the beautiful thing about these income-producing properties is that even in when they go to qualify you for that, uh, so when we bought the four unit, they can take the other three rents that come from the other units that you're going to be renting out and they apply that... Towards your qualification as well. It's they take 75% of the market rents. So that's the beautiful thing about buying a multi-unit is that you get that extra qualification where you don't need to have really that money coming in because it will be coming in once you buy it and once you live there. Right.
1: And then you had mentioned with that Claremont property, the duplex condo, that there were a couple like design things that you noticed after you finished that maybe weren't necessarily great for selling, but did make a great setup for renting. Do you want to share what you mean by that?
0: Oh, that's well, oh, that's a great question. Um so Claremont, uh, basically what I did was that we, so we duplexed down into this unfinished basement and I put another bedroom down there with a larger bathroom. Now it wasn't a master suite. It was just a larger, really nice bathroom that had dual vanities and a big ass shower, but it wasn't attached to a bedroom, which was like such a dumb thing to do (laughs) because this property did not have like a master bedroom at all. So my, my initial development mindset was just what matters is bedrooms and not necessarily functionality. Um, And so I recognize that as I've gone through the last two sales that didn't sell as quickly as I thought that they would, well, there was a design flaw that I had done. But here's the great thing. So I had four bedrooms, two baths in this Claremont property. Well, it's walking distance to Six Corners, which is a nice bar district here in Chicago. And what ended up happening is that I rented it to four guys. And so we had four separate bedrooms. Each person was paying, what, 800, uh, about 800, a month. And that really worked out well. And it's because there was the younger professionals that were living in that area that that property ended up doing very well on the, on the rent. So I kind of got lucky in that aspect because I wasn't thinking about it as a rent, as a rental uh, to begin with. I was thinking about it as a flip, but I kind of developed it poorly to be a flip. And so it turned into, well, this is actually a great property for a rental, right? So it was a secondary exit strategy that I actually talk about with a lot of my clients now because I learned this by doing, is that when you buy a property, if you do intend to, you know, rehab it and hopefully and sell it at a at a larger price, well what happens if you can't sell it? Well, hopefully you can rent it, right? And so having that secondary exit strategy is really important. And we just kind of like fell into that on this one which was a really good learning, you know, a a learning thing that we went through. So then we bought the house hack on Sunnyside, you know, and that's when COVID hit. So we're living in this place. We're managing the tenants. Some of the tenants are kind of going bonkers with the COVID. Um, One of our tenants ended up dying. She passed away. She was already on. She was an elderly woman. She was already on oxygen. When COVID had hit, uh, it was like a month later that she ended up passing away. And I didn't know it, but her family came knocking on our door saying, hey, we couldn't get a hold of her and we found her in her bed. And so anyways, it took them a month to kind of like clear out the unit. I had just signed a new lease with her and I was like, well, what do I do? Right. Well, the family's not going to pay the lease. It just stopped. It just ceased to exist. So anyways, so what we ended up deciding to do, because this was the last unit in the building that wasn't quite updated. Uh, She had lived there for a long time. And so I took the opportunity and I said, you know what, why don't we just renovate this unit? And we ended up doing a, you know, a decent, a decent sized renovation. We ended up between some of the building repairs that we had to do and, you know, putting money into that unit. We probably put in our $70,000 into it. We ended up leasing that unit right away and it looked beautiful. But overall, like for that building, when we first bought it, we had rents that were coming in like around $5,500 for the total for all four units. As of today, the rents total over eight thousand dollars. So we've been able to raise the rents on the building as a whole by about forty four percent. Just from early twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty three.
1: And that's from the rehabs that we've done. So the unit. One that you unit, were just one unit about. was
0: rehabbed. And then the other three units were just brought up to a market rate, in which the northwest side, specifically Portage Park, has actually gone through a nice rent increase we that we've been able to capture
1: as well. So we added a dishwasher to unit. Three.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um,
1: there, there's some small things that we did. You didn't just up it for no reason.
0: No, no, that's what the market has done. So yeah, for unit three, we added a dishwasher. But unit three went from, I don't know, it was like a $1,600 rent. Now it rents for 2300 right? The market has appreciated at a very fast clip, and a lot of it is driven by inflation that has recently occurred. So anyways, we bought it at a great time. We haven't owned it that long. We've been able to raise the rents by 44%. That all falls down. To a bottom line number, we're now all in. Our cash flow on that is over three thousand dollars a month from those four units, which is incredible, right? So it's a really, really good deal, and it's one of those things where you can buy it again. FHA, three and a half percent down. You live in one unit, you rent out the other. We only lived there for less than a year and a half, and then we ended up buying a single family home to live in. Right, so that would be that would be our fifth unit. Uh, that we added to our portfolio.
1: Sunnyside, we also pulled some equity out of as well, didn't we? Didn't we refinance Sunnyside?
0: We didn't pull out any equity. We were able to actually refinance it when rates fell. So when we first bought it, so beginning of 2020, when we first bought it, I don't remember what the initial rate was, but it was like six months later, we were able to refinance it. Or after we had done that renovation, we were able to refinance it. That did save our mortgage. Like, I don't know, I think it saved our mortgage like $700 because of that refinance that we just did on the term. We didn't pull out any money. So that was a nice thing that happened because at that point, that's when rates had gone down. And rule of thumb is like, if you get three quarters of a point or greater uh, savings on your refinance, like it's it's typically worth it. And in that case, it it was. So, and this was a cool part because we ended up going from FHA to FHA, and not not going from FHA to conventional because that's like that's a lot of the case where in FHA, when you have that type of mortgage, you're actually paying uh, mortgage insurance, and it's a sizable amount when you have this size of loan. So, we're still in an FHA loan on that one, but there was still enough savings on the difference between what the rates were to make that deal worthwhile to go through that refinance. So kind of a cool little, cool little different thing. So we could still actually like refinance into a conventional loan once rates come down. And then that would cut out a lot of our mortgage insurance. So then we bought the single family home, right? So we kind of stopped our house hacking. And then we kind of moved into, well, how do we continue to buy a property every year moving forward if we're not going to house hack it? Because we bought a nice single family home and like going back from single family into a house hack would be would be hard because we had two kids. Then we ended up buying the property directly across the street from us. And we partnered with one of my agents, um, Brian and his fiance Ashley. And then they did the house hack. And I was just kind of like the silent partner with them. And that was a very interesting, and we're going to do an episode with them to kind of talk about like their experience and how they found the house hack and like, and the partnership in general. But this one was a great one, too, because it was a two-flat with a non-conforming garden unit, and it was just outside of the loan limit for FHA at the time, so we had to put down conventional... But it allowed for 15% down. It was still not a. T- it was, because it was a two-flat, you could put 15% down. So it wasn't the gravy three and a half percent that you can get that you can get now at that loan amount, because we only bought it for five twenty-five. And you can you can do FHA loans for that property would have worked for an FHA loan today, but at the time the loan limits were not there. So, anyways, we had to put 15% down. And then our whole plan on that was that Brian and Ashley were going to live in one unit. We were going to rent out the top floor unit, and then we were going to build out the basement unit. We went through that whole process. We put about, let's see, I think we put in about $60,000 into the rehab, and now it's a stabilized property that pays rent. Brian and Ashley still live there. And how we actually end up doing that is that Brian Brian and Ashley, they pay like what would be a market rent, and then everything kind of flows to the bottom line, and then... What when we pay out like disbursements disperse, for like what the cash flow is, uh, it just goes back to them, right? So we can actually say that like the true rent on that property that now that it generates is about fifty three hundred dollars a month. So so that's been a nice one, and it's been really nice to to partner with another house hacker who's living in the property, and you know we just split everything fifty fifty. You know we've kind of got like different roles and responsibilities and stuff, but it's that one's been kind of fun um, to again, like acquire more units, but not have like us take on the entire risk and kind of share it. We don't get a hundred percent of the upside, but we, we share the upside and we share the downside. And we've kind of had a couple things where we're like, we've had some rain and, you know, a flooding that flooded the basement unit one time. And like, we both had to deal with that and the repercussions of that. But then, you know, we made it out of there and, you know, now it's back to stabilized. And um, so it's been kind of a, a fun little thing to to be doing with kind of close friends of yours. All right. So the cash flow on that property ends up being about 1700 a month total. And then we split that 50-50 and that comes to be, what, 850 a month. Okay. So that was another three units. So now we're at, so that went from five. So Claremont was one. Sunnyside was four. That's five. And then we add another three units. That's eight. Okay.
1: I'm still just kind of chuckling at the fact that you called yourself a silent partner. Does anybody actually believe Jason would be a silent partner? (laughs)
0: That's true. That was a bet. Yeah. I was not a silent partner. I was very active. You're not a live-in partner. Yeah. I was very active. (laughs) All right. So then because I had some success with that partnership, I was like, hey, you know, let's let's do it again now. And then I ended up partnering with one of my clients who um, was a guy I went to high school with and he just reached out to me and is like, Hey, Jason, you know, I think it's time for me to, to buy some real estate. I'm thinking about a condo like on the lake, you know, 200,000, one bedroom condo on the lake. And I think that's going to be the option for me. Um, So we walked through that scenario with him. And, uh, you know, I told him the, the upsides, the downsides of buying a condo on the lake. There's not much appreciation. Uh, you know, your HOA fees are likely going to be pretty high. Um, they're probably going to continue to go higher. You might get special assessments. Um, but it's really one of those properties that's like, you won't really see a ton of appreciation, but it's going to be stabilized. And that's like a very safe bet to buy. And then he said, well, Jason, well." will What did you do? And I said, Well, I bought a house hack. He's like, I've seen some of that stuff about that. Can you send me, like, you know, some further information? And so, I had created a, a webinar on that whole Sunnyside property and and basically the whole house hack that we had done and I sent it to him and um he watched it and from there he was like wow I'm really I'm really into this like let's figure out how we can do it and he said he's like the only thing holding me back is like I'm just so scared because I've never done it before he's like I I want somebody to like partner with me he's like I'm trying to get somebody at work to partner with me and maybe that would maybe that could work out and I said. Well, I'll partner with you. And I said, you know, I just came from this one partnership and like, I'm happy to do it again. You know, we really got to know each other and we realized it was going to be a pretty good thing. Um, And we ended up finding a property in Belmont Cragen. So this was a four unit plus a non-conforming fifth unit. And we bought that in November of 2022 using the FHA mortgage For $830,000. Only 3.5% down on that because partner Tim, he was going to live in one of the units. And so we could claim the owner occupant. And he lives there now. He manages the tenants, he mows the grass. And I give him a lot of advice on, you know, basically how to manage situations. I have a ton of resources in terms of, you know, when things break, in which We've only owned it for less than a year. And we've had a number of things break, even though this was a turnkey property. It didn't require any rehab, but it's really required like just some maintenance and upkeep. Um, And so that's what we've been working on. The cool thing about this one is that we were able to identify a property that had low rents compared to where they have gone since COVID. And so basically, we bought this turnkey property From a developer that had developed it, the rents on that property when we first had it were about $5,400 a month. Just in our first rent raise, I identified that like, hey, there's actually some room to run here on the rents because of the surge of what had happened from inflation. Like we can raise rents pretty sizably here. And so we went from raising rents $5,400 to now that building brings in $8,000 a month. And so that was about a 48% increase in rents. All of our tenants actually just agreed to the new rent raises because they recognized that there wasn't really anything that was on the market in the neighborhood that made sense for them. And they're still at like very affordable prices.
1: And you know, Jason, I feel like a lot of times I'll see or hear like some criticism of landlords with rent going up and, you know, landlords just kind of being greedy. So from a landlord's perspective, could you share a little bit about why it's important to keep up with market rates? Because recently we've had Mm -hmm. several things occur that needed our attention, whether it be increase in taxes or some water in the basement or whatever that requires repairs. And so having those reserves from those increased rents was is super important. Can you just share that a little bit?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a huge decision. It's a hard decision to decide to raise rents more than $50, you know? And we were raising rents between $300 and $400 on on these folks. And the thing is is that the way that the property is currently valued by the county is that we bought this thing for $830,000, but the property value that the assessor has is like two hundred and fifty. dollars So the taxes that are currently being paid on this property are really artificially low. And I know that in three years or whenever the next reassessment period is going to be, Chicago goes through a, a reassessment period every three years you're going to have a massive increase in your property taxes. We've seen that on our other on our sunnyside property where our, our property taxes went up 55% because of the way that the property was valued previously and where it ended up selling at and what the new comps in the neighborhood are are saying that the that the home's worth, right? So, you as a landlord, you need to keep up with raising the rents otherwise you're gonna get slammed with a massive property tax bill that will be coming it will definitely be coming and if you don't if you aren't aware of what the current value of the property is go out to the county website put in the pin number pull it up see what the what they say the market value is and then what you're purchasing at and then do some calculations on where like that that future tax um, bill will likely come in and put that into your analysis when you're running the deal. And so we did that, right? And so that's why it's so important that you have to keep up with the rents. Because if you don't, you're going to get slammed with the property tax bill. And all of a sudden, you're going to be, you know, you won't be cash flowing what you wanted to be cash flowing, Um, And then additionally, you have the rise of inflation costs, which we've seen a massive increase in gas bills, gas bills specifically. If you've got a building that has like a boiler in it and you're paying for that boiler heat, boy, you are really getting a huge expense. And it's gone up pretty dramatically over the last two years. So it's just, it's those, it's those utilities. It's the cost of maintenance as well. Just like when you call somebody to come fix something at the property, Okay. Labor is much more expensive now. Materials are a little bit more expensive. It's all those items that kind of add into it that if you're not raising rents with the market, you're going to be behind and it's going to bite you. So that's why we end up doing that.
1: Yeah. And I I just think that's important to share. And just another little story here is on that Property specifically, the one that you increased rents so high on, and everyone did choose to stay. Uh, Recently, the AC and the water heater both went out at the same time, and you and your partner were able to respond very quickly in getting those things fixed so much impressively so that the tenant said to you guys, You guys are the best landlords ever, (laughs) you know? And so I just think it's important to share why, you know, why it's necessary to keep up with market rents so then you're able to be responsive to tenants
0: yeah i know they actually said that they said they said, did, they said that, wow you guys surprising. are like the best landlords ever yeah um and this was an interesting this was an interesting tenant too because we didn't recognize this at all but when they had a microwave go out and we replaced their microwave and when we went in there to replace it we saw that there were cockroaches that were like behind the microwave and we're like hey there's there's like have you seen cockroaches here before like they're the small ones not the big ones and they're like oh yeah like they could just kind of brush it off well come to find out uh, they were living in like a massive infestation of cockroaches. So we pulled, we and had
1: never said anything. they never said
0: anything. And like, <laughs> and like, I don't understand why, like you totally need to say something to your landlord so that the problem doesn't spread throughout the building. So anyways, we, we ended up getting a bug service in there and we had to like, we had to do some really like serious bug, bug bombing into that, <laughs> into that unit. Um, So not only did we kind of fix their bug problem, we fixed their microwave and then their AC and uh, the water heater went out from the flood that we got from the basement, the unfinished basement area. There was a lot that kind of went into that. And so now they're kind of back to normal (laughs) in a bug free unit with working AC and, and hot water. And so I, I could kind of see like we've we've done a lot in a short period of time mm-hmm. for those guys, and I'm and I'm glad that they've recognized it. I'm also like I'm also glad that they're they're good tenants at the same time. Mm-hmm. They're they're really sweet people, and we want like the best for our tenants. We don't want to we don't want them living in a bug infested unit. Mm-hmm. Like that is the last thing that we want. So we want to have that open lines of communication. That hey, if there's a problem, please bring it to us, and we'll address it. And I think that's like one of the biggest things about being a, a good landlord is just address the problems that your tenants come to you with, you know, whether it's super small or it's a big one, right? I think when you when you show that you care, when you show that you can respond to just the smaller requests, it's going to make everybody's job easier and also the relationship of how they think of you easier. So when you do have to raise rents, you know, potentially in an aggressive way, they might remember some of the great things that you've done to the property to how you've treated them, and they may not be, so they may not push back as, as much. And um, I've seen that firsthand. And I think that kind of goes a long way, is that people will pay for quality. People will pay for service. And if you can provide quality through the product that you've that you have, that you bought, that you've renovated, and then through the service part of managing that unit and just treating your tenants like people. It's gonna really help you. And I think that's why we've seen such you know, such good success so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you have the ability to respond quickly and there's there's no hesitation about you know, the financial end of it of, okay, we, we've got this reserve here. The property is cash flowing. we are able to make these improvements for you and put a rush on it, make it happen right away.
0: Yeah, exactly. Actually. So here's a great example because the Sunnyside property, it did just, we had a, another problem with flooding that happened in the neighborhood. The water heater had been acting up before and now it just completely like it shot. And it was a big water heater and the cost to replace it ended up being a lot more than I was expecting. And I, I swallowed the pill. I mean, it was a $4,000 replacement. And I, it's easy for a landlord to be like, "Ah, man, you know, I've got a flooded unit. Now I've got to replace the water heater and like I got all of this cost and expense that's going out the door." And like, yeah, you can complain about that and like that's totally fine. But at the end of the day, I look down at like, "Okay, well what have we done on a cash flow perspective, and how is this property performing every single month for us?" And then Additionally, we're just talking about cash flow. We haven't even touched on like the principal pay down effect and like what happens with market value too. When you put all those pieces together, you're just like, you can afford that, right? The property is doing well enough because you bought a good deal by FHA. You've increased the rents. You've managed it well. You can afford these types of expenses. It totally changes your mindset when those types of things happen because- You've got the cushion for it.
1: Yeah. So that was unit 13. Now we're, um, I mentioned we're getting ready to get number 14 out there. And that is our single family home that we mentioned that we purchased back in 2021. Now, a couple of years later, we're turning around and we're going to rent it out. Yeah. So instead of selling, we're renting. And why, why are we doing that, Jace?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, we could sell it. I mean, we've we've gained a a good amount of appreciation just from the short ownership because again, there was a COVID boom that happened in the real estate market. But I'm also under the assumption that like it will continue because there's low inventory out there, and so selling right now isn't necessarily like the biggest thing for me. I think that this house could definitely appreciate much more uh, in the coming three to five years, and so I'd love to be able to cash flow the property because we bought it at a really low interest rates, and rents have risen. Right, so there's a pretty big spread there between what we have to pay to own the property and what we can rent it for. So I'd love to be able to cash flow the property and also realize the probably the shift higher in the market appreciation. So I don't want to sell it, um, and I think renting it right now is one of the smartest things that we can do. We're still on the hunt for that renter and uh, and kind of making that happen, but uh, but I'm. I'm very confident that that will that will turn out. I want to go back to the last property that we were at, the one in Belmont Craig. And so, just from a cash flow perspective, this one is expected to bring in about sixteen hundred dollars a month. I split that fifty fifty with my partner, so that would be about eight hundred dollars that comes back into our pocket every every month. So, <laughs> from the thirteen units um, just in the current cash flow that we have, it's about six thousand bucks a month that we've been able to accumulate. Just from January of 2019, so in less than four years. Less than four years. So if you were to take that whole thing and just, you know, do it again for the next four years, right or somehow find a way to buy a property every year moving forward, you know, we'll have over, we'll, we'll have a, a good amount of cash flow that's coming in from rental properties every single month. So that's kind of like how we can envision the real like financial freedom and how we can, you know, totally see, hey, it's okay that you don't work a W-2 job. We're actually creating our own W-2 from the rental properties that we're buying, right?
1: And just a plug for Robert Kiyosaki, uh, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad does a great job of of laying this all out in in layman's terms. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Yeah, you finally read that book.
1: I read that book earlier this year, yeah. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Yeah,
0: so I read that book back in, like, 2015, and that was the book that, like, totally changed my mindset, totally changed my my thought process. And I said, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, forget the W-2, I've learned enough, and, you know, let's go out and take a risk. And, you know, now we're just continuing to build off of that, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of funny. I waited so long to read that book and just kind of blindly agreed to let you do all of this for the last four years. You you put a lot of
0: trust in my hands, which is really (laughs) funny. But you've been along like, you know, you've made decisions along the whole way. It's not like you were analyzing deals.
1: I was not. You were not analyzing analyzing deals. deals.
0: You were just like, okay, give me the high level details. And does this make sense? And okay, let's let's do it. Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, totally cool. I guess moving forward, like okay, so we we rent out the house. Um, now we're in the process of like we're trying to continue to increase our cash flow, and there's there's a couple different ways that you can do that. Where it's you continue to buy properties, or you kind of optimize the current units that you have, and maybe you know consider a midterm rental or a short term rental and converting one of those one of those units into that. So we're actually we're trying to do that because buying properties right now at high interest rates where rates are in the sevens. Like it is just a lot harder to make any deal really pencil out. So you kind of go back and you look at your current portfolio and it's like, okay, could we be positioning one of these units into the midterm market and travel and targeting like traveling professionals or potentially in the in the Airbnb market? Right. So so we're looking at both of those right now, and we're in the process of converting our garden unit at the Sunnyside property into a midterm rental. And potentially if our long-term house, if our single family home can't be rented, On a long-term basis, that might actually convert into an Airbnb. So so there's a lot of like exciting things that we're trying to do there. And hopefully, you know, that is a potential opportunity where you could increase your cash flow by switching over to those uh, shorter term leases because you can charge a more of a rent premium. So we're gonna see how those go. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: all right. So what is one thing that you want listeners to take away from this episode, Jace?
0: Ah, good one. So I think I think just recognizing that you know, the earlier you start, the better. It does not take very long to accumulate income producing assets. And we've been able to get over $6,000 a month in cash flow in just since January, 2019. Anybody can do this. Literally anybody can do this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist at all. It doesn't take a brand new idea. These are all like proven ideas that people have done over and over and over again. So I think like that's the biggest thing is get started and just know that like, Hey, you know, we're going to do this for the next 10 years. And when you have that type of horizon and you're like, okay, we just want to buy one property every single year for the next 10 years, that's going to set us up for success. You won't lose on that. So that's the way I kind of like look at that. And I hope people can kind of recognize that it doesn't take very long, but it just takes consistent effort to do that. And then on top of that, not only is there cash flow, but there's also like principal pay down. Like you've get, when you own a rental property, you have your tenants that are paying the mortgage, right? If it's cash flowing, like that means that you're getting more money than what the mortgage is, plus all the other expenses. That means that your tenants are paying your mortgage for you every single month. We've looked at over the, you know, the 13 units that we have, the five properties, you know, we have on average about almost $1,000 a month in principal pay down that occurs per property. And so add that up every single month. And then in addition, well, what about the market appreciation, right? And so if we just assume that real estate prices are going to continue to rise, you know, at a modest pace, like 2%, right? You also have that whole phenomenon happening as well. The cash flow that you get is actually what you get on a monthly basis, every single month into your pocket. But you also have the other parts that aren't necessarily realized, but will be realized when you go to sell it eventually one day. And that's the principal paydown effect, and that's the market appreciation. So there's a lot of benefits that go into owning the rental properties um, that I think are often overlooked when they're just looking at like what the cash flow is on the property. So what's one big thing you want? listeners take away? Uh, I
1: would say don't be afraid to house hack because I think we've touched on this in a couple episodes you know you only have to commit to living in the property for one year and then you rent out the unit you're living in and you know you take the income that you have from that property and apply it towards you know your income for your next purchase and it's just a year of your time.
0: That's it it's just a year.
1: It's just a year.
0: Yeah. That's how you can do it. That's how you can convince your spouse to house hack. Just say, honey, it's only one year.
1: And that was it. That was the conversation. (laughs) Because I, you know, it was like, well, why can't we just go buy a house that we can live on? And it was like, well, once we did that, that would be it, right? Because we wouldn't have that income generating property. So just take the year, get at least one and and then go buy a place you want to live in. Totally. Totally.
0: Awesome. Well, if you guys found any value in the show, please share it. Um, we appreciate you listening in and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Investing Podcast. We hope that you walk away from this episode with something of value, whether you learned something new, felt inspired, or it helped spur a new idea. We are all in this game of life together and sometimes all it takes is hearing the stories and strategies of others that are out there doing it to help inspire you to take action towards becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for listening. Please share the show and we'll catch you on the next episode.